Welcome to my podcast, Why Didn't Anyone Tell Me This? With my guests, we are discussing health issues, questions you may have about your health, and debunking some of the many myths about our health. And today, it's a great pleasure to talk to Bas Moffat about the Female Body Bible. Baz has a first-class degree in sports science and a master's degree in health-related behavioural change. She spent four years on the British rowing team and after retiring, trained as a women's health coach, developing specialist expertise in pelvic health. And together with Dr. Bella Smith and Dr. Emma Ross, the three of them have written a really fabulous book called, called the, well, they've set up the Well HQ to ensure we have a future where no woman lacks knowledge and understanding of her body across the life stages. And together they've written this great book called The Female Body Bible. They are on a mission to ensure that everything that makes us extraordinarily female shouldn't be medicalized or considered niche, but be fully considered in making us fitter, healthier, and happier humans. And you all know I'm absolutely on the same page as that. So welcome very much, Baz. Great. It's going to be great to talk to you today. And I, I wanted to start by talking about your career. So you've had such an interesting journey. And I'm very aware how much rowing takes so much out of someone. So tell us a, a, a bit about your life journey so far. And I know that in your book, you talk a lot about your birthing. Well, not a lot, but you, you've given us um, information about your birthing experiences. So tell us, tell us about that. Yeah, I'll try not to take up the whole podcast with my life story. But in brief summary, I was I came out at a very young age, loving sport, just loved it, did everything, threw myself into everything, very much had more motivation than talent. So I just kind of, you know, I was never picked up as um, onto any kind of talent program or anything like that. I just wanted to be, I wanted to be sporty. There was a girl at my school that had Yorkshire on the back of her tracksuit. And I honestly thought she was like my hero. I'm like, how, how do you get that? Like, I don't know how to do it, but like, she was amazing. Um, Studied and I did athletics as a um, as I did athletics as a teenager uh, in back and, and I lost my periods when I went to university. So this was back at like you know the late really late nineties coming into the new millennium. Back then I wasn't anorexic. I didn't look you know I wasn't skeletal. So back then no one was really concerned about the fact that I'd lost my periods. It was a very it's like normalised within sports um, and I looked kind of healthy. Um, but absolutely, in this day and age, I'd have been picked up on the Reds register and like, hopefully I would be given the support that I needed. But it was that classic being at home, having a coach at home, having your family, making sure that, you know, you're eating regular meals or just just providing for you. Moving to university as an 18 year old, um, being around people that were just doing a lot of exercise and and I thought they were and, and doing better than me in sport. And so I was like, oh, like. I'll start doing that. I'll start doing circuits and weight training and, and running and et cetera. And like, oh, I'm getting worse at my sport. Okay, I'll do more and I'll eat less because that's what they all seem to be doing. And I just got into this massively downward spiral and absolutely ticked every box for reds. And, you know, ultimately just got, it was very, very unhappy um, had a very um, unhealthy relationship with my body and food and exercise. And that took a lot of unpicking to kind of like get back on the right track found rowing in my early 20s and I just thought I would try rowing and see can I just do sport to to have fun like like not 
not be that bothered about the success, but kind of like, can I just see if I can do something for enjoyment's sake? Um, and I loved rowing. I thought it was, it just had provided me with such a brilliant friendship group. Like, just, you know, when you're new in a city, it's kind of, it's just something, you, it's almost like going to a CrossFit gym, like your whole social life, your whole physical, everything is just absorbed by this activity. Um, and also interestingly, the, the, the profile of elite rowers is a uh, females is, is Amazonian. It is big and it is strong and it is powerful. And that, so although reds and disordered eating absolutely exists within, within any elite sport, it is, it is less, it, there is less of it in sport, in rowing. And that really helped me to kind of like start to, to celebrate food and realize that I need, if I wanted to keep up with everybody, I had to just get over my eating issues and start eating because I was never going to get in the boats I wanted to if I was like depriving myself of nutrients. So anyway, couldn't stand working. Like my my post-grad job, I was like, I, I am not happy in this space. So I did more rowing and thought, oh, you know what? Like maybe I could be all right at this. And so committed to attempting to get on the British rowing team got on the British rowing team of course there was like you know peaks and troughs within that but essentially got onto the British rowing team did that for four years um adored it like just amazing to be part of you know one of the best you know arguably the best there was people that would beat us obviously but arguably the best rowing system in the world at the time um I was I was the last person most years selected for the last boat. So I wasn't like the superstar of the team. So the superstar of the team like kind of enjoys this um, godlike status is kind of like over-egging it. But this real kind of like um, confidence that they're going to get on the British rowing team, they're going to be in the top boat and they are going to be going to the Olympic Games. Like, And so to know that gives you real security I was the last person in the last boat, like not knowing any of that. So every single session that I did was um, really mattered because I was worried that if I had a bad session, I'd be dropped and someone else would come in and take my place. And the reason I'm saying this is because, you know, I'm here to talk today about female health. Um, I wouldn't talk about any of that. Like there is no way that I would have ever brought up anything to do with my female self that could have been perceived as a weakness and a reason not to select me. Like I knew that the the system wanted my tenaciousness, my motivation, my determination, my ability to kind of cope with pain, all of that. They didn't want to know about my menstrual cycle or my sore back or my breasts or my sports bras. Like I was like, I am not talking about any of that stuff. And again, I was in the system a long time ago now. I was in the system sort of that 2004, 2008 kind of cycle. So I did rowing, enjoyed it, left rowing. And then I um, uh, had two children. Again, you know, lots of stuff happens to have two children, but I had two children. And my first birth, um, I got pregnant very, very easily. My pregnancy was, it wasn't a breeze, but I'm like, this is all right. And I couldn't believe how everyone congratulates you the whole time. They're like, oh my God, like, you're amazing. Like, look at you. Like, you look fabulous. Like, you're doing so well. And I'm like, sport is really hard. Like every day I am grafting and no one's congratulating me. I've literally just got pregnant and my body is doing its thing. And suddenly like everyone thinks I'm amazing. (laughs) I'm like, okay, like, and, but the birth, I did not engage at all with the birth. I was like, I am going to be fine at this. I have been a brilliant rower. I have never struggled with my physicality. If I decide I want to do something, I put my mind to it and I do it. And I'm like, I had a 
and arrogance to, uh, about birth. And I was like, I will be fine. There are millions of women that have been giving birth for thousands of years and they're not as good as me. And I honestly had that thought that then they're not as physically capable as I am. I will be fine. And uh, it was a disaster. It was an utter disaster, that first birth. And uh, for, for, for loads and loads of different reasons, um, but it absolutely traumatized me. And I don't use that word lightly. Um, I had to kind of go through therapy and kind of like work through that, especially as I wanted to have more children. Um, and I, and I, when I talk to athletes, I think many athletes like don't do birth well. And I think it's, it's a struggle for them because the system, the birthing system is full of lovely, lovely, kind women, mostly. And we don't connect with that sports people because we're like, they don't get me. They're like a bit too fluffy. They're kind of a bit too safe. They're telling me to kind of like rest. And, and I'm like this and I'm, and I want like, I want like, you know, a coaching program and I want a plan and I want to be able to achieve things. And so we don't really connect with it. But what that means is that we don't tap into the power that our body has if you allow your body to do the right thing. And when I got pregnant again with my second child, um, I, I did go what I describe as hippy dippy and I worked with a doula and I really started to understand like how do your hormones work? Like how your body, your female body is is able to give birth. It's able to give you all the pain relief that you need, but you have to create an environment in which you can access that. Being in fight or flight mode, pushing through, treating it like a 2K rowing test or a you know an interval session doesn't cut it because that interval session goes on for three days and like you need a bit you know you haven't got the energy to do that but if you create this space your body is amazing and I had that birth experience second time around and it was it 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 was a moment where I was like oh my goodness that what my body has just done has blown any sporting achievement out of the window like I have never tapped into my capabilities like I just have and I was and it just made me think, oh, my goodness, we have underestimated women. Like, if that's what I'm capable of, like, in this birth setting, like, how if we allowed women to connect with their female self, like, they can do tremendous things. And I made I literally made that sort of pledge to myself in that moment that that's what I wanted to do. Like, you know, after, you know, when I was back on track and kind of like getting into that workspace. And so that that second birth, I suppose the contrast really between that first birth experience and that second birth experience um, really kind of set me up to, to set up the Well HQ, which is all about um, educating those people looking after girls and women in sport about the female body in a very, very simple and practical way. And I that is totally doable. Like we do not have to have physiology degrees, medical degrees, academic be publishing academic papers to have a really simple basic conversation with women and create spaces where they can have those conversations too thank you thank you so much and um yeah it's it's such an interesting journey that you've been through and that those birthing experiences when I read them in the book I was like wow and then I saw how you'd taken those situations well between the first and second birth and turned them around mm. and I I think women but everyone, we always have something new to learn. And um, this this podcast is very much for everyone. Don't don't be listening to this and think, oh, I'm not an elite, elite athlete. Um, they're not going to talk about anything that interests me. Because I think the book, for me, I'm not an elite athlete, but I think the book has so much for, for every woman 
to really learn from. And that's what we're going to tap in today. But before we do that, you've talked a couple of times um, then about red. So tell us, tell, tell the audience what that um, involves and, and what that issue is for women. Yeah, so it, it stands for relative energy deficiency in sport. And essentially, um, it's when your your energy balance is off. So there is more going out of your system than is coming in, in, in basic basic terms. Now, one of the symptoms of not taking in enough nutrients or, or calories and overtraining is uh, losing your menstrual cycle. It is not the only symptom, sign or symptom of red. It is one of them and it's a pretty major one. And that's because our um, our reproductive system is the first system in our body. We don't need it. Like we don't need it to exist, as you know. Um, and so it's the first system that gets cut down. And I think that's Men don't have that sign. So men can suffer with reds too. Men can suffer with overtraining and underfueling, but they don't have this brilliant monthly menstrual cycle that gives them a signal that their body is doing really well. And so if you have a regular menstrual cycle that is manageable and broadly symptom free, that is your body's way of giving you a massive thumbs up that you're doing a great job and whatever you're asking your body to do, that it is coping well. When your body stops coping so well, it, it shuts off the menstrual cycle. But we know that we have estrogen receptors all over our bodies. And so it's not just the, the period going. It's um, our adaptation to training is reduced. So like we will be training, but our bodies can't adapt to that. We're more likely to, to have stress, anxiety and depression. We're more likely, we're immunosuppressed. We're more likely to get ill. Our skin and our hair might start to kind of like not be, not be so healthy. Um, our, our systems are just being dumbed down. If that you know, they're, they're just not functioning on all cylinders. We'll be tired and lethargic. And one of the symptoms, you know, definite signs of me looking back was like, I just didn't want to train anymore. Like I just didn't want to do it anymore. I just lost that kind of like that zest for life and that drive and that motivation. Um, and so that's that's what and we it is it is huge. It is and it also, it's not just in the elite, it's not just in gymnastics and 800 meter running. It is across the board. It's in football, it's in rowing, it's in weightlifting, it's in everything because women have a very very complex relationship with food and that's why we are far more susceptible because we're not just we're not just athletes, we are existing within a society where, and especially now with you know all the pressure of social media, we're living in, young women are living in this world where there's a really um, strict and clear expectation of what they should look like. Yeah, for sure. And, and I think you, what you've said has really highlighted how intricate the female body is. And there are these warning systems along our lifetime that we, we really should take note of and how we can change something and stop something as important as the menstrual cycle by what we're eating and, and how much we're training. I think that's a really, really important message. And what I really loved about the book was that you had so many important messages there, I think for, for every woman, even the, and especially for the women that don't exercise because it's, very, it's a very motivational book. And you did write it in a similar way to, to my book, my, Your Fertile Years, because you have really looked at the science and you've referenced the book. So readers can find out some more information. So I love the evidence-based information in your book. It's, it's, I think it's really, really important. We, we don't need to dumb down women's health either, but some people do. Now, you've mentioned food 
you've mentioned exercise, obviously. And in your book, you talk about the the pillars of our well-being, which I talk about in my book as well. And the other two are sleep and stress management. Um, uh, so, well, we'll come back to what, what I want to talk about today is come back to all of those in a little bit more detail with some vignettes of really useful information that, that our listeners can take away. And um, I agree that these really need to be embedded in women's health right from the beginning. And in the book, you beautifully go through the menstrual cycle, fertility and pregnancy, perimenopause and postmenopause. And again, you say many times what we say, or what I say, we are all individual and we've got to, to do what's right for us. And that you said right at the beginning, well, I said at the beginning about um, in your bio, you know, you we don't need to medicalize a lot of women's health. And I, and I think we're, we're doing too much of that. So let's actually start. I know we've started talking about exercise, but let's look a little bit more into nutrition. You've mentioned that a few times. What would be, there's so much information in the book, but what would be your key messages to women about their nutrition? Yeah, so my, um, that that food is not your enemy. And I think that many women do have that relationship with food, that it's their enemy and that deprived, depriving yourself. And especially at the life stages. So especially girls going through puberty, pre and pre maybe definitely postnatal and definitely perimenopause those life stages food suddenly becomes your enemy and you start you start well I'm going to talk about perimenopause here because I think that you know many one of the signs is that people put on weight and they will um they will say oh what they used to their formula that used to work for them so like oh I just stopped eating bread or I stopped eating you know puddings or I cut out wine before Friday like whatever was your normal solution they're like doesn't work anymore like it doesn't my my normal formula doesn't work anymore I don't recognize the body that I have got and I'm like well it's unsurprising because this hormonal roller coaster is going on inside you you have a different body but they are so vulnerable at that stage they'll start intermittent fasting they'll start cutting out major food groups and they'll start depriving themselves which kind of puts them into this massive stress state which means that they're never going to lose weight and so when it comes to nutrition we have to um I don't, you know, it's, it's easy to say have a healthy relationship, but I think that if you are supporting girls and women, we we work with coaches and teachers and parents all the time. It's not the messaging that you give when you're in nutrition mode. So if you're doing like a nutrition talk where you want to talk to them, you know, about how to come to a session, having eaten their dinner or whatever it is, that's not that's okay. That's great. You're, you're probably broadly on point with what you're attempting to tell them. It's the, it's what I call the messaging that leaks through you, like when you're not on in nutrition mode. So it's that, what are you saying? How are you associating performance or success with weight and shape and size? So do you comment on players or other girls within the team or the squad saying, oh, like they've trimmed up, like they're looking good today or, or like, oh, like, you know, like, yeah, they're, they're a bit slow and hefty. Like what are you, your, how are you connecting weight with performance? And it's, and that's what girls hear. That is what girls hear. I mean, I was honestly working with a top level swimmer and she went, she got an eating disorder because she heard an Olympian um, interviewed after her Olympic final was like, oh, like I'm so pleased. I've done really well. I can go and eat chocolate now. And at 14, she heard that message and she was like, oh, so chocolate is bad. So you can only eat chocolate after you've got to the Olympics or won a gold medal. 
if I stop eating chocolate, then that will make me better. And that quickly turned into, well, if I stop eating chocolate, I may as well stop eating cake. And then I may as well stop eating crisps. You know, it's that kind of, that it, it's that nature. And we have to work so hard to create environments where girls and women have a healthy relationship with food. And so my key messaging is, it's not easy, which I know is not like a really specific message to give, but I could say generalized statements here, but actually that's no good because we all, we've all heard those generalized statements over and over and over again. It's, we have to work. You don't just, you don't just have in today's age, a good relationship with food. It's an active pursuit. And I think we have all of us who are in the care of girls and women and even ourselves have to make sure that like we are working really hard to achieve that. Yeah, I've I've never I've never really been slim. I've always been a, a strong woman, and um, yeah, I like that. My I have an active relationship with food for sure, um, and yeah, it's it's interesting. Um, there's so many interesting things you've said in the book about nutrition, but one I wanted to pick up one in was supplements. So in today's society, it's it's such big business, and we're bombarded by companies telling us to take fertility supplements and perimenopause supplements and this supplement and that supplement. And it, it's just uh, crazy. So uh, what what is your view about the need to take supplements? I mean, I think it depends who you're talking to, doesn't it? If you're talking to youngsters, it's food, 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 food. You can get everything you need from food. And by food, I don't mean cans of monster. I mean like proper food and it's the um because if you think of teenagers you know and, and teenage boys I know we're focusing on girls here but it's they they often have this body dysmorphia and they either want to slim down or bulk up and so they might start to drink milk and eat a bit more chicken first but then they'll go oh I'll have a protein shake and I'll go to the supermarket and I'll buy a protein shake hang on I can get that cheaper online I can buy this powder online and it's telling me it can do x y and z and that's cheaper than going to supermarkets so I'll do that we don't know we don't know what's in that powder like at best it's not doing it's not doing anything and at worst it's probably full of stuff that could do you some harm but then before we know it they're then they're then training in a garage like with their mate because then they're, they're not going to a gym or a sports club we don't have any like adults looking after them and they're and, and you know and, and drugs are being used in that space and it doesn't mean we go along that continuum but you can see actually how a vulnerable like teenager can can really get into that space um, as an elite rower, I, I did it all on food. Like we didn't have supplements because of, because of drugs testing, because you are so petrified of taking anything in unless it's be, you know, be, and be, and, and it's your responsibility. If you take, if you are found to have anything in your system, it is on you. Like it, even if someone else has told you to take it, it is on you. Um, so I, I would say go food first, peanut butter sandwiches, hot cross buns, cheese, you know, uh, cheese and crackers, bananas and yogurts, like, you know, chocolate milk, like all of that stuff. We can do it on food. We can do it on normal food, which also is cheaper. It is cheaper. Like these supplements are expensive. Um, we don't, and, and, and we don't know if we need them. And I think that the, 
if you are working with a dietitian or a doctor who who has done a blood test or you you know you've you've explained your symptoms and they're like gosh you know what actually yeah like it sounds like you're deficient in this why don't we start taking this they will recommend a specific brand for you to take because they will even if it's more expensive than what you can get in your supermarket they will know that's the most effective brand of supplementation for you to take you've taken it under guidance now not everybody has the luxury of that so you rock up to the you rock up to the supermarket and it says happy menopause like drink this shake or have this oil or like have this vitamin and like you can look like this really famous like midlife woman and like and for me that's why we need books like ours it's like if you want to take that like okay but be under no illusion that that's going to fix your leaky pelvic floor or like get you into the dress that you want to it's it might be part of it it might be but it it probably won't be and it's it's that that i i get really angry with is that these vulnerable times of women's lives are times when big brands can like tap into that vulnerability and promise them something and we know i mean i'm not a doctor but we know that like if you're in a bad place it's 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 a holistic approach that needs to be we need to make shifts in many areas of your life not just it's never going to be fixed by taking a pill yeah i mean i i absolutely agree and when i wrote my book the section on on our pillars of well-being it started off when I, I, I wrote everything down first and I really went off at a rant and um, I wrote about 35,000 um, words and one chapter supposed to be about six to 7,000 words and I had to cut it and cut it and cut it because I, I was like you, I had so much that I wanted to say about the supplements and nutrition and exercise and everything. And, and it's, I think it's really unfair. As you said, we've got vulnerable people um, and if you've, my advice is if you've got, if you think you've got something wrong, please go and see your doctor. Please don't go and do home tests that really are really, you know, most of them are not really valuable. Don't go and start self-medicating. And, you know, you can do damage by taking some of these supplements. And like you said, all this stuff you buy online, we don't know what's in it. There's this menopause powder that's going to make you wonderful. And, you know, and everyone says it makes them feel better. And as a scientist, if we're really going to be evidence-based about it, we'd have to do clinical studies with these um, supplements or powders, whatever they are, and and find out, did it really make people feel better? But whenever I've asked the people that make them, I said, have you checked with any, you know, done any sort of studies? No, no, no. My friends said it make them, <laughs> makes them feel better. So my advice is if you're taking lots of these supplements and powders and things, stop. Stop taking them for a while. If they're not being medically prescribed to you just stop I've, I've never taken a, a vitamin supplement um except folic acid obviously when I was pregnant but just stop and just monitor yourself for two or three months and see how you feel without taking them and then maybe introduce them back in and then again monitor yourself and see did it actually make me feel any better because I think so many at their marketing and they're great placebos um, I'm sure we could spend another hour talking about nutrition, but let's let's move on. Uh, let's move on to exercise. So we're going to have a deep chat about exercise, and um, I have said this a few times now, but um, I, I've n- I've never been an elite athlete. My one of my sons is um, an elite footballer. That my kid, I've got three boys. 
they they did everything before they ever went to school. They could swim, they did trampoline, they did gymnastics, they did tennis, they did football, they did everything. I was I've always been very sporty. I've done sport my whole life, but never never at a high level. Um, so I, I I well I did I am a trained aerobics teacher. I did used to teach aerobics in my twenties. Um, this week I've had a great week. I've done five classes so far, and it's the Thursday, so I'm feeling really great. So I'm a big big advocate of really encouraging women because I see too many women say, well, I don't have the time or, you know, it doesn't interest me. So if you had a woman in front of you that said, well, I've never really exercised, what would, what would you tell them? Why, why would you tell them it's important to exercise? I probably wouldn't tell them that it's important because they know that already. So I think that, you know, like I, you know, in terms of why it's important to women is for all the reasons it's important for everybody. It's just that it's, it's, it's undeniably like the, has the biggest impact on your quality of life. Right. So let's just assume we don't need to lecture people on kind of like on the impact on bone density and muscle strength and all that kind of stuff. But if I had a woman and I've worked with many women like this, like just don't like it, then I, I don't like it. I, I don't get an adrenaline high. I have zero like joy from it. I feel overweight. I feel awkward. I feel like I'm, it's embarrassing. Like I, I start things and I give up. Like, what do I do? So my, the, I, and I'm time poor, like I'm time poor. I work full time. I've got kids, et cetera, et cetera. So you, we need to make sure that exercise is sustainable. And the easiest way to do it is just to incorporate it into your life. So we don't need to necessarily join a gym. We don't need to find a sport. We don't need to go to a class. We need to move. We just need to move. And so we need to stop getting in the car on for every single journey and like walk, 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 walk as much as we can. So if that would be my lowest bar into kind of like, what can we get to, like, what can we get these women to do? Just walk. And actually, you know, I know that some people are in the middle of the country, but actually in city, like some of the time walking is actually no slower. Like it's not, or you might get the main train into the main station, but then instead of getting on a bus or like getting the tube, you'll just walk the next bit. So like try and walk as much as you can. The next level on from that would be do what gives you joy. And it really doesn't matter where you start, whether it's swimming, whether it's open water swimming, whether it's table tennis, whether it's badminton, whether it's boxing, whether it's boxer size, whether it's legs, bumps and tums, it's irrelevant. Just do something, hook up with some mates and hook up with uh, not flaky friends that are going to drag you down and go, oh, like, should we just stay and should we just go to the pub tonight instead? Like hook up with, with somebody that is going to reliably turn up to this session. And so you might do couch to 5K together. You might join a local, you might do a, an evening swim session together on a Monday night or a Saturday morning. It doesn't just do something that is going to give you joy. And then the third level is if you want to get really specific about it and like get really like, you know, tick all the markers that we want to tick, women need to lift weights. Like we need to do weight training. And if, and if, and, and some women might not be ready for that, and that's fine. But the biggest health gains we can make is in weight training and proper weight training, not not pink dumbbells and pink kettlebells. We need to be and, – and you don't have to be lifting heavy weights on session one. You don't even have to be lifting heavy weights on session 10. It could take you six months to get to a place where you'd be what I describe as lifting. Um, but that is – you will get the biggest gains from that. Yeah, st- strength training so, so important. and. So this podcast is coming out in January um, in my 
uh, beginning of my series two of this podcast. And at the end of series one, if you haven't caught it, I interviewed Claire Fone, who's a physiotherapist, and Nikki Kay, who's a, a doctor who specializes in exercise. And we did two great podcasts going through the whys and wheres of, of women and the, exactly the same messages as you, Baz why it's important and, and strength training, really, really important. And I think also uh, what they said, both said as well, a bit of variety. Uh, don't don't just do, you know, strength training, get, get everything sort of in there. And every woman's different. So what we're going to enjoy, how much we're going to want to do is it, really varied. But I think working at home now, I, I certainly in the last few years, you know, I go to a class and then I'll come home and sit at my desk for the next eight hours, which is a disaster. So this year, everyone, keep moving all through the day. Don't just do an hour or half an hour of exercise and then sit still. We must we, we must keep going. Um, in the book, you talk a lot about working with our different life stages. And um, I've asked all my guests about the menstrual cycle because I've read so many different things about women feeling different and wanting to train or exercise or move differently at different parts of their menstrual cycle. So maybe the the middle part being, um, I think you talked in the book about calling it superpower, and then around um, our premenstrual stage and when we've got our period, we might want to do different types of exercise. So how, how should women think about their menstrual cycle? Yeah, and I think that um, this is very on trend, isn't it? So this is very on trend. Like you will see um, people coming out there, like training around the menstrual cycle, working with your menstrual cycle. We are not at a stage where we can generalize advice on this. So I can't come onto this podcast and say, right, do you know what? In the first two weeks of your cycle, you are going to feel terrific because biologically, that's how we are made. So you, I want you to be doing four sessions a week in the first two weeks. In the second two weeks, I think you're going to be feeling pretty tired, pretty sl- We're not there. And even though there are some apps out there that like to offer you advice as to regards to like different stages of your cycle, we can't. And my problem with that is that also this advice is often about you are more likely to get injured on this time of your cycle. And, and that is... We have women who are really worried, sportswomen who are really worried about training and playing on certain stages of their cycle because that's what they've read. Now, we're getting there. There's so much research and evidence research being done now into, you know, especially in football, the risks of ACL injury and like, is it aligned with the menstrual cycle and all that kind of stuff. But for normal population women, we need to, you need to track yourself. And, and that's you understanding your body get body literate and so you can do it on paper you can do it in a diary you could do it in an app but you don't but track it in a way where you monitor as much or as little as you want some of you will be on hormonal contraception so may not have a regular may not have a period to kind of like give you that guide but you might want to kind of you know track where you are on your menstrual cycle what day you're on and how do you feel and you need three months of good of good data good information to kind of like notice trends and you'd be like oh like so I know for example I'm 45 I know that in week three of my cycle actually if I have a glass just one glass of wine at night I can't sleep like on weeks one two and four I'm totally fine but in week three I feel that's my peri. I don't I'm not I'm not an HRT I'm not perimenopausal yet but I feel that's what I'm going to feel like when I'm perimenopausal on week three of my cycle it's like I my bowels slow down I kind of like 
I just, I'm a bit, I'm a bit tired. I'm a bit fatigued. I definitely am more sensitive to alcohol. I just don't sleep as well. And actually the other weeks I'm fine. So I've noticed that. And I, but it doesn't mean that I can't do a really big presentation or a really big piece of work in my week three because the rest of the world is carrying on. I just have to use different tools to show up that day. And that, that for me is really, really important. We cannot have the world telling women that they are weak or tired or more likely to get injured and leave it at that. We can't because you might have your Olympic final, you might have your trials, you might have your finals, you might have the biggest presentation at work, you might have a, like the busiest day on the worst day physiologically. Like, we need to help you and support you do that. Like, it's unrealistic to think that the whole of our, the whole of society can be tailored around everybody's like menstrual cycle, it's not going to be. So we can empower ourselves to really tap into how do we feel and like what are the things that we need to do differently on every day to kind of like make sure that we're the greatest version of ourselves that we can be. Thank you, Barris. Because yeah, I was going to ask you about that because throughout the book you've talked about tracking. And I think even if women are on hormonal contraception and they're not having a sort of, you know, your average menstrual cycle, I think tracking, as you've said in the book and you said just then, you know, knowing what's affecting you and in you in different weeks of your menstrual cycle, I think that's really really a great bit of advice for everybody see what that glass of wine does see as i said what the supplements do see what's staying up later and not sleeping so well uh all of all of these you know how you're living your life can really influence that and and then when you get to the perimenopause you know again really important see what's affecting you and we change we are going to be changing from puberty to postmenopause then we settle down <laughs> and not so much change but, you know, while we're having our menstrual cycle, it's going to go through a lot of changes and monitoring that and see what works for you. I think that's a great message of your book. It's really, really uh, fabulous. Uh, before we go on to sleep, we will talk about sleep in a moment. But um, I, I, I love the fact that you said several times in the book that women are not small men. And, you know, you, you alerted me to some of the issues around kit um you know that you know women just get small men's kit which is which is crazy um but one of the really interesting things you talked about breast support and i i've got quite big breasts so you know and i'm very aware of other women's you know holding sometimes holding their breasts when they're when they're doing sport and it was unbelievable to know that the sports bra was only patented in 1979 um, and I saw a video that um, I was at a great talk by someone who does a lot of work on sports bras, and they showed a video of someone running with good, uh, with a good sports bra on and without, and it was just really scary. So, for anyone that's doing any sort of exercise, um, what's your advice on getting a good fitting supportive bra? Um, so a sports bra shouldn't have a birthday, which is really shocking to some people. And they're like, what? Like I should be changing my sports bras every year. And you're like, oh, I've had mine for 15 years. I've never, ever changed it. Um, so there are obviously, this is a massive problem in the sports bra industry because most women, most young girls do not wear a sports bra. They just wear their ordinary bra because they don't want to get changed at school. Most of us don't have a bra that's good enough and, and they're advertised in a way that kind of shows your cleavage and, and, the, and the straps. It's just like how kind of um, attractive can the straps look? Um, and 
but there are some brilliant sports bras out there without a doubt but none of us know how to fit a sports bra well and when it's being advertised to us it's kind of like you know it's just advertised in a way that isn't isn't conducive with a good fit um so you for us the fit is more important than the bra okay and this is really important because we do lots of work in um in very poor areas of the country in 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 areas where they can't go to sweaty betty or lululemon or like they can't spend 80 or 90 pounds on a sports bra they're going to go down to their local high street and actually that's that's okay like but we need to know how the sports bra like you can go to Primark or Next or you know or, or the high street chain and you can get you can get a good enough sports bra right yeah not if you're going to be an elite athlete but good enough for like to do a park run or to kind of do, do your normal sport um the there's I mean it you're best off looking at our website and kind of like there's a, there's a guide to a, how a sports bra should fit and feel but it shouldn't have it, it shouldn't it shouldn't be too stretchy you shouldn't be able to like pull the elastic up it shouldn't be it should it, if you're if you're bigger chested it needs to be a well-fitting supportive bra a crop top is not going to cut it like it, you shouldn't your boobs shouldn't be bouncing around all over the place whilst you're doing sport and we would love to get to the time when you know when you go to a sports shop and you buy trainers it's, it's very common for you to jump on a treadmill and do a do and do some running and either you just saying oh yeah these are the best ones or someone in the shop will help you analyze like what's the best fit for you how great would it be if we could do that with sports bras um, so we just want to get to the stage where the your whole breast is contained. There's not too much flex in the system, and the and it and it and it feels comfortable when you are doing sport. We were honestly working with a national team, a talent pathway, and halfway through the session, a 16 year old just whipped off her bra and just threw it to the side and was like, "This is so uncomfortable." And we're like, great, we're doing the we're doing the breast support talk next. So like, we will make sure that you are fitted for a sports bra properly. There are some really good um, websites out there. Uh, we work with PB uh, PB Active, um, and they will do free online um, sports bra fitting. So you can stand there in you know, you know, 15 minutes. Um, 15 20 minutes and you stand there and you put your sports bra on it that you've got at home they'll talk you through how to measure it they'll say okay like that one looks a bit small that one looks a bit big like how does it feel what sports you're doing and they'll be able to advise you as to what um, sports bras fits you but it's, it's really worth doing i i totally agree so th- that link to, the, to that company is that on your website um it will be but it's p-e-b-e active yeah, I think I'm going to have to do that. I am one of these people and I do get expensive bras, but I'm one of these people that the minute I come home, the bra is off. And I can admit to you now, I'm not wearing a bra right now. (laughs) And all of my podcasts, I have admit I've been braless. Um, I I just, uh, yeah, even even the best bra, I bought a hundred pound bra the other day, highly fitted and I can't bear it. I just, yeah, I just, I, yeah, I just like, I just like yeah. not, I don't wear, I don't wear shoes and socks. I haven't got any shoes and socks on either. Um, right. Let's, yeah. let's move on. <laughs> let's move on to sleep. Um, you talk a lot about sleep in the book. Obviously we all know sleep's important. Have you got any key messages to, to help women sleep? Yeah, do the best you can. And I know that's very, very simple, but I've gone to so many presentations and workshops where where the messaging on sleep assumes uh that you can you can have a two hour like 
lockdown training, you know, kind of like preparation where you create this beautiful Zen Den and you have a bath and you turn your telly off and you have this lovely, calm, peaceful household and you walk into this cool, calm bedroom and you're able to have eight hours in there and then you wake up refreshed. And and it really annoys me because I'm like, what about shift workers? What about parents? What about like old, like what about, that is not a woman's life. Like, and so we have to get super practical. And if you're there sat in the audience going, okay, I have four hours a night and I only have one bedroom in my house. And that bedroom is also the bike, the bike store, the wardrobe for the whole house. It's absolute chaos. There's no way that I can create a beautiful space in my bedroom. Like do the best that you can do. And I think that be under no illusion of the power of sleep. Like it is, it is your life source. And when I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm passionate about all women. I'm very passionate about midlife women. Uh, this is the biggest gift that you can give yourself. And I think that many midlife women, we have a very um, fixed mindset as to what type of sleeper we are. So we're like, we're a good sleeper, we're a bad sleeper. We wake up for an hour in the middle of the night. Like we get up at like whatever it is, we've decided that's who we are. And we're not really open to change. We're not really open to kind of like, oh, like maybe, maybe we could be better at this. Maybe like, you know, they're like, oh God, yeah, I can only get to bed. I can't get to bed before 12 o'clock. There's no way. It's like, well, can you? Like, I think, well, well, why don't we just try it? Like, why don't we try? Like, talk me through, like, why is it that you can't get to bed before 12 o'clock? And so, you know, if I'm, I, if we relate it back to exercise, many women can't exercise until late at night right so they'll they might go to the gym at eight or nine o'clock at night so they they have to tick the exercise box they go to a class then they're really hot and they're like really hot and they're buzzing and because the class is like a high intensity class and the trainer's like young they haven't done a cool down because that's like that's wasted time so they've not they've not cooled down so they're they're really hot and buzzing they come home the house is chaos they've got to sort all that out they've got to get everything ready for the next day and then they've got to like, oh, I've got to get to sleep. Like, and it's, and that's not going to happen. So you're like, right, you really want to go to it. That's the only time you can exercise. Why don't you just go and lie down on that gym floor for five or 10 minutes, like after that class and do some very gentle yoga kind of stretching. Get into your car, prep your family that you are walking in that door and you are getting in the shower and you are going to go and read in bed. It is their job for that night to tidy up and get and get everything organized. Now, that might not be an easy conversation to have, but I do feel that women, not always, and this is a huge generalization, and, and um uh they they kind of when you when they do exercise, it's in a they don't stop doing anything. So it's almost like exercise. So an exercise, an one hour exercise class is actually two hours of extra stuff they have to do in the day. They haven't stopped doing anything else. So it's it's an extra mental load. It's an extra thing they have to do. So I always say, right, what are you going to stop doing and who's going to do it? And and that for you to get a good night's sleep, that's kind of what has to happen. So do your best. And I also think if we flip it to the morning, if you think about morning exercises, if they're like, if people panic about the fact, oh, I can only exercise at six o'clock in the morning. If you really are not getting enough sleep, actually, your body might be better off only doing that two or three times a week as opposed to four or five times a week. So you can stay in bed for an extra hour, hour and a half. And actually, at the stage you are in life, your overall health may benefit more from that than going to the gym for those for that one or two extra classes. So I look at sleep as a 
we need to get as much of this as possible because it's blooming brilliant and it's free and it's kind of like and it and it and it and it ticks so many boxes but like but with everything else we have to work really hard at making that happen perfect perfect advice so um Baz you talked to lots of women about the the issues we've talked about today and the podcast is called why didn't anyone tell me this so what what would be the main one or two things that women have said to you well I didn't know this why didn't anyone tell me this before um, for me, it's pelvic floor. We haven't talked about that today. That's my absolute passion is like pelvic floor. How to do a pelvic floor exercise. Like I can talk to 60-year-olds, 70-year-olds, 50-year-olds, doesn't matter. None of them know how to do a pelvic floor exercise. And so that is what, um, and, and really normalizing the language around that and making it really simple and giving them a really clear referral pathway and saying, right, if this, if what I've taught you today doesn't make any difference in the next four weeks I want you to go to the GP and say this like and and it's that's really clear messaging about pelvic health I I feel that um pelvic health is the last taboo in women's health it's something that um we might laugh about with our friends and and talk about but actually in terms of getting help or talking about it in a mature like non-comical way is is not happening um and it it floors women it absolutely floors them that fear of leaking urine or wind or having uncontrollable bowel movements leaking it's it's removing women from our communities our gyms our sports and our workplaces and i'd say to quite a significant extent and i feel that um pelvic health is would be an, will be an, would would be an absolute game changer if we can educate and empower women in that space Excellent. I'm glad you brought that up. I was going to mention it earlier, but I'm I'm glad you brought that up now. So if they've got any issues around, as you said, any leakage of anything, look at look at your information about doing pelvic floor exercises. And as you said, if if that hasn't helped, then go and see their doctor. And I think education is mm-hmm. is so so key. So that's excellent. Thank you. And I ask all my guests, what motivates you? You've you've so you're like me, you're full of full of beans, full of enthusiasm. What motivates you every day when you get out of bed and think, right, I want I'm gonna do all these great things today? Um because I just think we can make some massive changes by doing some simple things. Like that's it. Like I think it's and what motivates me is is that like I I wanna make a really big difference in this world. And I know how to do it. And I know that feels really arrogant, but I'm like, it's, it's, we are at such a low base with this. And I think that, you know, you'll be talking about it all day. You'll be talking about it with people that are really comfortable. But if you take one millisecond, millimeter outside of our world, like there is so much work to do. And I know the impact it will have. I know that I didn't have a great, I didn't, you know, my relationship with my body with my female body was like pretty poor and I kind of like really want to change that like for girls and women yeah embrace this wonderful strong amazing female body at all stages of its life and it's so interesting it does all these exciting changes (laughs) whereas men men don't once they've gone through puberty nothing really happens to their body and we I think we, we we really need to embrace this journey that that we go through now, I am doing a lot of work about happiness. So I've been asking all my guests, what makes you happy and where is your happy place? Yeah, so it's it's combining exercise and food. 
So <laughs> anything that involves like going and and not exercise for exercise sake. So like a long walk or a, a swim in a river, a cold water swimming, but then there has to be a brunch or a lunch or like a bacon sandwich and a cup of coffee. Like there's something, some kind of um, exercise where you've you've shared an experience together physically, but then there has to be a way that we can just, you know, you know that just that feeling of your, I love that, that feeling of physical exhaustion, not like total, total not like brokenness, but that feeling of like, oh, yeah, I've worked today. And then you can just relax and um, enjoy good food. And and doesn't have to be complicated or posh food, just like, yeah, good food. I, that's definitely what, where my happy place is. Fabulous. And, and us uh, cold water swimmers in winter, because we're we're not in for very long and we need to make more of a thing of it because – if you if you sort of drive a distance and you're in for five minutes or less, um, so we we're, we're doing mm. brunch. We, we are we're Saturday morning. We're we're off to the cam. Five minutes probably in the river, but it will be everything else around yeah. it. And then we're going to a lovely place for brunch. So yeah, make the most of that. So love yeah. that food and exercise. And the very last question, always a bit of a tricky one. What advice would you give your younger self? Yeah, I this was really tricky and I don't I just don't think I'd be able I wouldn't be able to take on this advice. But if I was prepared to listen to the advice I would give my younger self, it would be to trust you. To trust you. Like trust tap into what your body is telling you and trust it. And looking back, like I wouldn't have been able to. Like I just wouldn't, but that's what I would love. I'd love that that young woman to kind of just go like trust what their body is telling them as opposed to what they feel they should be doing. I love it. It's always, uh, hindsight's a great thing. And as we've got older, we've become mm. such wise women. Um, so it's, it's always good to think about what we would have told our younger self for sure. So uh, Baz, it's been absolutely brilliant. I love your enthusiasm <laughs> and, uh, you know, please everyone, not, not just elite athletes, everyone needs to read uh, the Female Body Bible, it's got so much information. And I love that the three of you have written your your really own personal stories throughout the book. And it's just got so much information. So Baz and the team at the Well HQ, please keep up the work. It's um, really fabulous. And I hope everyone's enjoyed the podcast. Thank you. Thank you.